0: Passion for the environment really struck a chord with me. I was talking to a guy at church. He said to me, The place I connect the most with God is when I'm alone in nature. And uh, I think it was the first time I'd ever heard someone say it that way. It was maybe the first time where I'm like, I can see why why this is a passion for a lot of people. Like, this is important that we, you know, that we live lives that, that are smart and, and take good care of the environment.
1: Hi, this is Joshua Spodek, and this is Leadership in the Environment. You're not the only one who cares about your impact enough to act. You're part of a global community undeterred by people saying, if others don't change first, then what I do doesn't matter, and other excuses. We've read the science. We can do this. This show is about personal responsibility, acting, and improving your life by your values. As guest after guest says, the challenge was hard, but thank you for getting me to do it. I wish I'd done it earlier. Listen on for leaders to inspire you, hear their struggles, and then act. Go to joshuaspodick.com slash podcast to commit to a public personal challenge of your own. You're not alone, and you don't have to wait for others. i recorded a few posts about how what many people call minimalism is really more maximal. That is, I would call it maximalism. From the outside, it looks like minimizing stuff. But people who practice it, as I see it, stuff isn't the focus. Getting rid of it is more of a means to an end. The end is more connection. In my experience, that's family, community, faith, and other things that bring meaning, which people I think generally want more of, and they maximize those things. In that world, Joshua Becker stands out as one of the main figures— Millions of people have read his blog and his books and taken his courses to do just those things. In this episode, we talk about how he started and perspectives that help if you want to get started yourself. The conversation also gets very interesting, talking about God, the Bible, lots of religious stuff, my first love, several big moments in his life. Why not get personal? Let's listen. Welcome to the Leadership in the Environment podcast. This is Joshua Spodak. I'm here with another Joshua, Joshua Becker. Joshua, how are you?
0: Oh, I'm wonderful. How are you?
1: I'm very good. I'm sorry that I didn't get to catch you when you're in New York City not too long ago, which is what brought us together. You spoke at Strand, which is around the corner from here. So you are, how would you describe yourself? A minimalist? Is that is that the right way to put it?
0: Oh, I minimalist would be further down in how I describe myself. I I think I would start by talking about trying to be a, faithful husband and father and contributor to the world around me. But certainly um, minimalism is uh, important to me and minimalism is a a pathway uh, for me to do those things better. So yeah, you could use the word. I have a blog called becomingminimalist.com and I've written a lot of books about minimalism and uh, try to encourage people to find more life by owning less stuff. So uh, minimalist would fit itself in in my uh, description at some point for sure.
1: You did what I think a lot of people do, especially the more that they are, the the more that they get rid of things and uh, clutter, which is that I think from the outside, it looks like it's about stuff. And I think once you get into it, it's about community, it's about family, it's about being in touch with yourself and your values. Is that what it is for you as well?
0: Yeah, it is. Uh, It is mostly about intentionality is probably the best word that I can use. To describe it, uh, you know, I don't think most people set out in life to own a whole bunch of stuff that they don't need. You know, I don't think anyone goes out, sits out in life, and says, "I just want to," you know, waste money on stuff that doesn't matter. But we we tend to start living that way until we have this moment where we realize that not only are our things not making us happy, but our things might actually be distracting us from the things that, that do bring us happiness in life and begin this process of trying to own just the things that I need to own in order to live out my values and live out my purpose and live out what's what's most important to me. and um, And it usually starts with possessions and then you start looking at things like how you spend your time and what habits you have in your life and the people you have in your life. And you start to realize there's Um, There's a lot of alignment that can happen between my actions and my values that I've been unintentionally missing out
1: on. You said that people reach a point, that stage in life, what fraction of people reach it? and What fraction don't? Oh, I, I don't know.
0: I don't know. I, I think that, that most people who are trying to live a minimalist life have, have had that moment, you know, that, that light bulb moment where they realize uh, not only are my things not making me happy, but they're actually keeping me from um happiness. I think most people who are pursuing a minimalist life have have had that epiphany or that light bulb moment. What percentage of people do it i probably a pretty high percentage, but maybe yeah. a lot maybe a lot late in life. you know i mean if if I want to count deathbed regrets. You know, I, I think you, I mean, you, you hear a lot of, you know, I, I work too much. I wish I would have spent more time with, with my family. Um, wish I would have been more true to myself. And so I, I think probably, you know, a lot of people reach it at a point where they wish they would have discovered it sooner.
1: Yeah, I, I definitely wish I'd discovered it sooner. And I definitely had a lot of, ble- like, it's this unpeeling of like, I got rid of all these books and then I was like, wait, that's, this is better. I got more space. I got less stuff. Did you ever I, I did this post on um why minimalism should be called maximalism. And I'm saying it a little bluntly for a headline, but it's not about getting rid of stuff. It seems like it's about getting rid of stuff. But if you say what's what it's actually about is connection and and values, and we're maximizing that it's funny to label something by the thing we devalue.
0: Mm, mm, Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. You're right. I mean, minimalism is as much about addition as it
0: is subtraction is, is how I usually say it. You know, the way I define minimalism is it is the intentional promotion of the things I most value in life by removing anything that distracts me from it. And so it is about owning less. Um, It is about becoming more intentional with the things that I own. But I do that for the purpose of all the things that I get to add back into my life that I didn't before. And, and that looks different for different people. For me, it was a moment where my son was swinging alone on the swing set in the backyard and I'd wasted hours cleaning out my garage. And Hmm. I was like, man, if I didn't own, if I didn't own all this stuff, I could be, I could have spent the day with, with my son rather than spring cleaning my house. And so for some, it's family, for others, it's travel or getting ahead financially, pursuing hobbies, like a, a lot of different motivations. I think that people have of the things that they want to add back into their life by owning less and minimalism makes it possible for, for, um, for anyone to, to do
1: that. Yeah. I think, I guess things I was thinking of, what is it for me? And it was hard not to, as you were saying it, like family, I've certainly gotten closer to, and I'm not very far I've definitely gotten rid of a lot of stuff and people walk into my apartment. They're like, Oh, you must be a minimalist. I'm like, it, kind of like you. I'm like, uh, I guess you could say that, but that's not what I think about. Food and nature are two big things that I feel like stuff gets me separated from. Oh man. Can I ask you some selfish question? Not selfish. Uh, here's can I share something that's like, of course a little while ago, I, all right, there's my high school girlfriend and we were, you know, the first girl I fell in love with. And this is back in the eighties. And we kept in touch for a while and we were both the types that would save each other's letters. And so a couple of years ago, this is like after 30 years or something we arranged to meet and we're going to give each other the letters that we saved, So I can read the letters that I wrote to her and she's going to read the letters that she wrote to me. Something happened. And for some reason I didn't have them with me. Like something came up and we met. And so I got the ones from, I have not all of them. And then something happened that we haven't been in touch for a while. So I got these box, and and maybe she's done. She, like she's got kids and family and all that stuff. So I got this box of letters and mementos from the '80s, and part of me is like, they're irreplaceable. Part of me also thinks like, how I don't bet you. When I was in college, I felt like there's so many people who are so different. They're so like no one else. And I'm, I'm a professor now, so I've been on college campuses for a long time. And everyone that like everyone that I thought was so unique, I've seen them generation after generation after generation, like not so unique in particular, if I hear some 20 year old waxing about love, I'm like, yeah, yeah. I know that. And it felt so new and meaningful. And I know, I think if I write, if I read these letters, I'll be like, yeah, that's what any 19 year old or 20 year old would write. And it's like, I felt so big and important. And what's actually happening is that they're sitting on my counter and I'm not actually reading them because They've been there so long, and I feel like I know what I'm going to read. I'm trying to decide, should I just put them in the recycling or not? And part of me says, well, this is the type of important value questions that you can learn more about life by asking these questions. I don't know. Is this something you've... you've, How does it sound to you? Well, it sounds to me like you are
0: are a different person than the person who wrote the love letters, right? I mean, you are in a, a brand new season of life uh that was that was you back then but you're you're living a very different different life today and I mean I I don't know what the reason would be to to hold on to them I mean you could maybe hold on to a few I suppose but I don't know why you would need boxes of them if I were you I would I would probably open some up I they probably wouldn't just sit on my counter that long because I would have been very curious to see what I was writing and and um and who I was back then But I, I don't know, like, I I try to help a lot of people who they've carried, they've carried like past seasons of life with them into the new season of life. And I, I see it a lot with women who loved mothering, like they just loved being moms, but their kids are grown now, but they hold on to, like, they hold on to a lot of the Toys and mementos and sometimes clo- you know, clothes and collectible things, and they hold on to them from that from that previous season previous season of life. and I, I think it's f- fine to hold on to a few things from that moment in time to remember it. but when we start bringing all of the, all of those possessions into our current season of life, sometimes it keeps us from, from fully being the people that we are today. And I love my past. I'm I'm just not living that direction anymore is how I've come to come to say it.
1: You must get really, I guess a lot of people come to you for help. Do people share things like what I just shared a lot with you? Not your particular story. Well, yeah. That's the first time I've heard
0: that. <laughs> um, I feel special. Yeah, no, that's a great one. So I have a online course that I, that I take, People through uh, to twelve week course called Uncluttered, and yeah, I mean we've had like over thirty thousand people who have who have gone through it, and the and the Facebook group becomes a very active, uh, very active place, and people are sharing. Yeah, they they share a lot of stories about what they're learning and what they're noticing and what they're getting rid of, and they ask a lot of questions, and other people chime in, and so that's probably the the outlet where I get to hear the most very personal personal stories. I don't I don't go in anyone's House and help them get rid of stuff. So it's not like I'm overturning uh, those kinds of leaves or opening up those boxes specifically. But uh, yeah, I get I get a lot of emails and I get to hear a lot of stories, which I which I enjoy. It keeps me going. It keeps me going in a lot of ways.
1: Yeah, it sounds like it's funny because I always think about myself. I haven't had the perspective that you have, and of how personal it is. I, I guess it's partly personal, but also. Not universal, but I imagine a lot of people go through a lot of similar things. You just said a lot of women as, as their children, I guess, empty, leave the nest. Uh, and there must be a lot of these trends. And it feels so personal, but also not so like, okay, now I got to go through my thing of getting rid of the school stuff. And it took me a long time to get rid of my old textbooks and then my own notes. And and then eventually to learn, like now I know, don't save the letters in the first place. <laughs> Actually, people are constantly like, I, I was on a podcast and someone was like, we want to send you, they're always like, can you send us your, your home address? So we can, we want to send you a little something. And I have this thing that I send, which is like, I appreciate the sentiment. It means everything to me, but the actual physical thing, if it's going to in a landfill, that's actually lessening the, what I think you're trying to send and still does it stuff from the past. It didn't hit me how deeply personal this stuff is until just you talking about it now. Damn it! I wish I saw the, the, the when he spoke at, uh, at at Strand. I wish I'd been there. Sorry.
0: Yeah. No. Friday. Friday of July Fourth weekend. It was the um, it was the the worst time. I, we did a we did a book tour down the whole East Coast. So started in Vermont and hit Burlington and Boston, New York, Charlotte, Charleston, Orlando, Miami. So so all the way down the the East Coast. And the only night that we were free in New York City was Friday, July fifth. Mm-hmm. And my publisher's like, what are you, crazy? Trying to do something on, you know, Friday of a holiday weekend in New York City. I'm like, well, it was the only free night we can do it, so.
1: Well, but I hear tons of passion in what you're talking about. I mean, I'm sure I'm asking some questions you've asked many, many times before. I apologize if that's the case. But also, I mean, when you said this is what you're in it for, what's the passion behind it? What's your passion, if you don't mind my asking? Yeah. So
0: I was introduced to minimalism in, it was in my mid thirties. I was 35 and had a five-year-old and a two-year-old, and had been married for about ten years. And I think spent a lot of time, a lot of a lot of my life wasting, you know, wasting money and wasting time and wasting energy on on things that didn't matter. Literally, I was cleaning up my garage. My son was in the backyard. My neighbor uh, was the first one to introduce me to minimalism as I was. Complaining about how many hours had gone into my garage, and my son was running up every 20, 30 minutes asking me to come back and play catch with him. Mm-hmm. She said, You know, my daughter's a minimalist, and she keeps telling me I don't need to own all this stuff. And it was in that moment, looking at the pile of junk in my driveway, my son alone in the backyard, realizing my things were distracting me from significance and purpose and joy and meaning and life. And I started owning less. I found Uh, It brought about more money and more time and less stress and more focus, more opportunity for gratitude and generosity and contentment, a better example for my kids. Like all these benefits that started coming into my life. And I was like, where, like, where's this been? Like, how come no one told me about this before and started blogging about it and writing about it. And honestly, I, my heart is to be my neighbor in someone else's life, um, like just introduce someone else to a, a different way to live and and help them see that their that their life is t- too valuable to to waste chasing and accumulating material possessions that's what that's why I get excited about. I was a pastor before that i've been a, I was a pastor for fifteen years, and so I think work that was meaningful in people's lives has has always kind of been something that has motivated me. So even before doing what I'm doing now.
1: Yeah. I guess there are a lot of people who would do it and then just them doing it themselves is enough, or I guess you didn't intend. It sounds to me like you didn't intend for it to catch on as it has. And, but once it did, it sounds like that a whole other level of, I mean, you said it simply, you're being for others, what she was to you, but that was just a neighbor talking and you've had the books and, and millions of readers and, and awesome stuff. Is it work to keep it minimal? Well, I imagine it's, I feel like once you start getting, you just, maybe you're getting tugs to like do more and more things or to, it's probably easy to lose focus. I I'm thinking because I'm losing focus all the time. Yeah. Yes. And
0: no. I mean, I have a lot of entrepreneurial friends and and they like they do a lot of jumping from one thing to another and they build this and then they build that and they build this and they build that and i've never had so many ideas i've never had a ton of ideas where i'm like oh i want to go chase this thing i want to go chase that thing i i mean for the past i've been doing this full time for 6 years but blogging for um, for 11 and I, this is this is just what I what I want to do, and certainly there's different ways to to do it, and different resources that I can discover are needed or would be helpful, and so different projects along that way. But I I think they all fit my fit my mission of of um, of wanting to help people own less, and it is a it is a sweet spot where something you are passionate about doing is meeting needs of other people. Like when, when you can, if you're lucky enough to be in a position where, uh, you can get, you can support yourself by doing something that you, that you're passionate about doing. It's a, it's a pretty sweet spot to be. And, um, that's where I get to live my
1: life. Oh, thanks for being on. (laughs) It's like a great place to end right there. Uh, although I want to keep going. The environment isn't something necessarily that, um, minimalism would have to interact with or overlap with. There's zero waste. I don't know if you've like B Arthur was uh, not B Arthur <laughs> B Johnson was on here, and I keep talking with Laura and Singer, who you know they all their waste and fits in a jar for a year and is the environment does that overlap with you? I'm kind of curious because that's I think a lot of listeners are here for environmental reasons yeah it, it's a very interesting conversation for me because environmental
0: concerns was never my motivation to become. Minimalist, and like when I talk about different people have different passions and different motivations and different values i I see that one a lot from a lot of people. They want to become minimalist because this is a big concern for them for me it it wasn't the the driving cause to become minimalist i'm I was certainly smart enough to see that this was a, a better life for the environment and so a, a better life for everyone like I could see that, but it wasn't my It wasn't my driving call into it or my, um, my motivate, my motivator into it. If that makes, if that makes sense.
1: Has your experience changed that? How has that evolved in time since then? No,
0: no, it's never been the, the major motivating factor. It it wasn't at the beginning and it's, and it's not now. I mean, I, I know how it's better and I can see how people living this way is better for everyone and I'm, I'm all for it. Like, you know, I mean. Uh, I'm all for that. It's just not, no, I don't, I don't do it for those reasons. I was in, in The Minimalist Home, it's a book about uh, owning less and going through your home and, and doing that, but it's really a book about like purpose and what is the, you know, what are your goals in life and what are you trying to accomplish with your life? And at one point I had the realization and I wrote in the book, I said, look, my values, my reasons for going into minimalism were uh, it was about family, it was about faith, it was about friends. Like those are probably the three things, like the most important things to have a different making a difference in people's lives. Like those were my greatest values when I first found minimalism. And I don't think minimalism has changed that for me. It, it hasn't changed what's most important for me. It's it's allowed me to accomplish far more things in those areas than I ever thought I would. But as far as what what motivates me to do it no it it, it hasn't uh, it hasn't changed over the decade
1: so you were saying it hasn't changed the motivation. I was also wondering if it's re- it's changed your how you feel about the environment or how you act environmentally. Do you think about the environment differently now than you used to
0: no, I don't think so like I, I want a clean environment before and I want a clean environment now so no I, I don't think it's I don't think it's changed it's probably brought me into uh, has it brought me into more conversations about about how to accomplish that? Probably than than I was having before. I mean, who who was I before? You know, no one really knew me. Like I didn't have much of a, a public platform, and so I wasn't getting asked to be on podcasts necessarily. And so it's probably brought me into more of those conversations, but I, I don't think my my passion for the environment has has changed.
1: Okay. And I got to say, as you're speaking, I keep going back to this thing with my high school girlfriend. And I had an experience where I've run a few marathons. So I'm jumping around a little bit, but I, it's, I haven't really openly spoken to, uh, that, about this. And, and your take is making me think about it more. So I hope you don't mind indulging me. Don't mind at all. I'm your guest. Wherever you want to go. Okay. And I ran a few marathons. And I have the, when you cross the finish line, they give you a, um, a medal. Mm-hmm. And so when I was, I was getting rid of clutter, this is, I don't know, five, 10 years ago. And I was like, I didn't run the marathon to win. I came in like 10,000th place. This is like, I mean, the guy who finishes after Usain Bolt at number two is like, ah, oh, terrible loss. And I came in 10,000th place, not second. So I thought, I don't need these. So I got rid of them. And then, I mean, later I was like, oh, I can't replace those. I should have kept those. I, I went a step too far. And for a long time, I thought, okay, now I found out where my boundary was. It was maybe been worth it to like cross the boundary to know. But then after that, I was like, you know, I really should have just gotten rid of these. And I, it, it was not a problem to, to have gotten rid of them. I had to experience that, but there's no loss. And I guess I'm kind of inching closer to getting rid of this stuff, these letters, reading a few of them. I'd imagine there's a lot of people out there feeling like if I get rid of this, I, I, if I keep it, I can I have it. If I get rid of it, then maybe I'll, I'll wish I had it. Is there anything that... And, and you don't have to answer this if, if I'm asking a question. I hate asking questions that people have been asked a million times before. But have you gotten rid of stuff and then thought, oh, I wish I kept that? Oh, uh, personally, man,
0: yeah, I get asked that a lot. And I don't come up with a lot of things that that I regret getting rid of. No, I'm even trying to think if there are, I, I mean, maybe, maybe a passing moment. But I can't even think of anything in particular where like maybe there's a passing moment of oh it would be fun to look at this you know oh it'd be it would be fun to to look at those marathon medals again but it it seems to pass it seems to pass pretty pretty quickly because I, I can't think of anything that I really regret getting rid of no I, I mean a little bit like your like your I I had a marathon medal I ran one
1: and I got rid of it I don't remember ever thinking oh I really wish I would have. Held that is the lesson. Don't accept it in the first place. I mean, that's what it is for me. It's like when they hand it to me, I'm just like, thanks, but no thanks.
0: Yeah, it could be. Yeah, I think it it depends a little bit on maybe your relationship with the person. You know, if it's the the marathon organizers, then it's easy to you know not accept it. If it's your Mom trying to give you something you know maybe maybe I accept it, you know, just because I know that she's trying to you know trying to express love in that way, but uh is the lesson in the first place not to accept it yeah I mean can be it can be at times i I don't think that that is probably a a uniform answer for uh anything and everything that someone's trying to give you, but um certainly can be for uh for a lot of things certainly if you're if you're walking if you're walking by a swag table at a conference you can you know exhibition hall and they're trying to hand you a bunch of junk then that's pretty easy yeah. to, to say no to but
1: it reminds me of of is this a big scene in Harold and Maud for you have you seen the movie Harold and Maude no no oh. then I don't want to talk about it because I recommend seeing it okay. <laughs> there's uh after you see it let me know and I like okay. to okay. talk to you about a couple, a couple scenes in that movie because Maud is it, the both characters are are really amazing characters and I won't talk about it because it's worth so not accepting stuff in the environment is, um, yeah, it's it's been a big thing for me. And I feel like a big part of what you do is is not just sharing your experience, but also helping people get that experience themselves. And I guess mostly, I guess if people come to you, they are they want it from you. You're not pushing it on people.
0: No, I try to invite people uh, as much as I possibly can. I, I mean, it's tough to have to push minimalism on anybody, but uh, I work pretty hard to uh, to try to introduce the idea to people and invite them. And yeah, I mean, my favorite people to talk to are people who have never heard of minimalism, which is getting less and less nowadays, but people who have never considered how owning less would improve their life. That's my, that's my favorite people, favorite people to to talk to. I have two books. Um, my book in 2016 is called the more of less finding the life you want under everything you own. And it's really inter- written to introduce minimalism to people. Uh, and then the new book, The Minimalist Home, is like the room by room guide to go through your home, especially if you have a family. Um, how to how to apply the principles in your life, and so it's a little bit part introduction and then part okay, I'm in. How do I get there? Um, so I find that I I like meeting and talking to both both groups of people. I don't love talking to the people who own eighty things and they want to get down to sixty five things. Like I'm I'm not good at minimalists who want to be more minimalist. That's, uh, that's not
1: what I do very well. Okay. So you're like the introductory one And okay, here's one. I don't care if you get asked this a lot because I get asked this a million times. And I, if you can help me answer it, I talk about having less stuff and people are like, Oh yeah, well, you don't have kids easy for you, but I have kids and it's absolutely impossible for me. My standard answer is B. Johnson family for enough trash, not enough trash to fill up a jar in in a year, it's brought them closer. They said money. How do you answer it?
0: Yeah, no, that's a, that's a good answer. I think uh, you can point to, you can point to dozens of different examples of people who, who are doing it. Usually I tell people that, that family or actually any other person, even a spouse, like even two people, but with a family, minimalism is more difficult, but I think minimalism is more important when you have a family and when your responsibilities are to, you set a good example for your kids and you need to be intentional with your kids and you need to have have time and energy to to raise your kids well. Uh, I think that minimalism is more important um, when you have a family, even if it is um, a bit more difficult to uh, to figure out.
1: I like that. Yeah, it's not like family. It's not like raising kids is easy in the first place. Uh, kids make everything more difficult. Probably. Yeah. <laughs> well, I have nieces and nephews, but no kids myself. So I, I take a word for it. But I, yeah. I hear people say that a lot. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Feeling inspired? Do you like hearing others acting that you're not alone? Go to joshuaspodick.com slash podcast to hear other interviews, but even more valuable, join the growing community of people who care enough to act, not just talk. Read the list of people who have taken on personal challenges and then commit to one yourself. Don't be surprised if you end up loving it, changing more and finding people following you without you even trying. That's what happens when you improve your life by living by your values. Okay, you said, I was, I was curious that when we were back talking about the environment, you said it hasn't, changed I think you said something, like, it hasn't changed your passion for the environment. And so I was, I was very interested, I like hearing the passion. And so what is the passion for the environment? If, what is your passion? What do you think about when you think about the environment? Yeah, so I think I said that minimalism hasn't
0: changed my my passions. Like minimalism hasn't changed what's most important to me. And in terms of what, like what's important with the environment, I don't think minimalism has, has like upped my passion for it. It hasn't certainly hasn't lowered my passion for it. Yeah. You know what? I grew up in, um, small town, South Dakota and, uh, moved to rural South Dakota, uh, Aberdeen, Aberdeen, South Dakota. Is that anywhere near Sioux Falls? Uh, North, North of Sioux Falls. Okay my mom's from Sioux Falls, okay, yeah, there you go, yeah, I love South Dakota, so but you know, pretty small town, uh small town conservative South Dakota, um, and then I lived in Vermont for six years, and um I, I think really it was in Vermont where you know I started seeing people who have you know well, it's very interesting people in South Dakota like they live off the land like they I mean they they have a passion for clean water and clean air, and they want to do everything well. People in Vermont, the same. Uh, it just played itself out a little bit differently uh, in Vermont. And, you know, the, the first time I think I I like really uh, passion for the environment really struck a chord with me. I was, uh, I was talking to a guy at church and he said to me, you know, the place I connect the most with God is when I'm alone in nature, and uh, I think it was the first time I'd ever heard someone say it that way. And it was maybe the first time where I'm like, man, I can see why why this is a passion for a lot of people. Like, like this is important that we you know that we live lives that that are smart and and uh, and take good care of the environment. And so. Vermont really. I lived in Vermont for six years. I found minimalism after three years of living, living in Vermont. So I, I, mean, I don't know if that answers your question. I'm, I'm not the guy who's, who's pushing minimalism onto people for, for environmental reasons. I'm not the one taking, taking big stances on, on this issue. Um, but, um, but I, I think that minimalism offers a lot for the environment, and um, I'm happy to know that I'm living a life that um, that is helpful to it.
1: Yeah. It, it, this is, I asked that question, in various forms of, of all my guests, and it's become my favorite part of no one. I've not had the same person any two people answer the same answer the question, the same, and nor could I really predict it. And it, it's weird. The person who I've asked, who was the closest to me to my, what my answer would be was actually the former head of corporate social responsibility at McDonald's. I'm not like, I've not eaten McDonald's since the eighties. Like it's, and I was, I was listening to him and I was like, that sounds like me. And it was really, I, I love that connection and discovery. And I've heard your answer, things similar, but not exactly the same. Mm-hmm. And so there's no right. Yeah. I, and I was just, I really enjoyed hearing what you said. It made me think of of something that I've been playing with recently. Uh, the term stewardship, I feel has has taken over, has replaced dominate, dominion. The interpretation, I think, of dominion used to be dominate maybe more along those lines hundreds of years ago, and now it's in the past generations, it's stewardship. And I've been playing around with fruitful and multiply, the meaning of that, that I think, be fruitful and multiply until you fill the earth. And I feel like it's possible. What, what about when, we're, when it's full? Do we reinterpret that? And uh, I've not been a pastor, and so it's not something that I've really... Uh, it's new territory for me to think about. I'm partly inclined to ask you what you think about.
0: it Yeah. 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 No, I, you want some, you want some biblical thoughts on it? Yes. For my days pastoring, I, obviously my faith is still very important to me. So a, a few things that, a few strains of kind of biblical thought that it's shaped out for me. Number one, you, you find God creating the earth, at least in my interpretation, you know, in a, in a perfect state, right? The garden of Eden idea. And then at at the end of time, you find God restoring the earth to, to its natural state. And I always say, if you, I remember this, I don't know where this illustration came from, but if your mom, you know, if you woke up in the morning and your room was clean and you knew your mom was going to come in at the end of the day to clean it, to clean it again, like how do we most honor God? It's not by trashing it's not by trashing our room during the day, right? Like if this is how it's supposed to be, then, then we need to do, like, we should do what we, let's do what we can do to, to keep things in, you know, the way that he um, originally created uh, at least in my theology and uh, in my view of that. So, so that's important. I, I think that you, you do have this. The Bible starts in the Garden. The Bible starts in the Garden of Eden, and then the Bible ends um, in this heavenly city and so you you find this progression through time of moving from a garden to a city and uh, I think you see that uh, across the earth right cultural advancements and technological advancements and and so you you certainly find this um, certainly find this progression as well and uh, I think we just have to figure out how do we you know how do we subdue the earth you know how do we be fruitful and multiply and and how do we improve society uh how we do it in a way that that honors god and and uh, takes care of the environment along the way so i don't know we we're going to be doing theology today but how about
1: that huh <laughs> i didn't either i it's i guess it's it's start you know i've done a bunch of stuff at west point and it it started coming up there and i realized that a lot of this is for me to learn about others and and certainly in the united states this is this is a major starting point for people to approach minimalism or environment. I started thinking about if, this isn't my perspective, so I'm looking at it from the outside, but if, if God gave us this, all of the reality around us, all of us, if it is given to all of us, and some of us use it up, leaving less for others. Like I started reading about how the concept of extinction wasn't really known for a long time. We didn't know that there were things that used to exist that don't. And we and even after we knew that dinosaurs existed or maybe not dinosaurs at first, but like things don't exist now that used to exist. It still took a long time to realize that we could take away something now. And if that happens, someone gave something to everyone and we're not leaving it for the others. And that to me is where stewardship came from. If you take away something that was given to them, that's a really mean thing to do. It doesn't sound like that was the goal at all. Yeah, yeah. Which says like, let's not let things go extinct. Let's not trash things. Does that resonate? Because uh, this is me now stepping into into territory that I'm not usually in.
0: Yeah, yeah, it does. There's a biblical story of the Jewish people as they're leaving Egypt, and and manna falls every day. You know, bread falls. Um, they wake up and there's bread every morning, and each person is supposed to take enough for the day. And when they collect more than they need for the day, then it it rots overnight, and they they learn this principle of of just. Taking what you need and and providing for yourself, um, providing for your needs, but not in a way that that over accumulates what you need, right? And I, I think you look at, I mean, you look at the over accumulation of of possessions that that are taking place in, in our country and in other countries around the world, and I, it just doesn't seem like that should be the that should be the case. It doesn't seem like that should be the that should be the norm. It should be that we you know if we were just taking if we were just keeping what we needed for our life, I think certainly the uh, the world, the economy uh, the environment would look would look very different if we were just providing for our needs as opposed to building these kingdoms and castles inside our four little walls on Oak avenue or whatever you know wherever our castle happens to be
1: it's yeah I think also Buddha. And he was, he was a prince and he could have had as much stuff as he wanted. And he get, went super static and then he went back to somewhere in the middle and, but he made his joy, made his purpose happiness and sharing that happiness with others. And cause I always want to get more influential people on this podcast. Cause I think that, uh, the more influential person who shares environmental stuff, the more people at home can feel like it's not just me. And so I was, so someday I'll be talking to LeBron or Oprah or someone like that. And I'm going to say, You know, you could do something to act on the environment. And if we make a cultural shift, this is a shift that's not like a generational thing. It's like, this is like once every century, once every couple, maybe millennia. And so I want to say, you know, you got a lot of scoring trophies if it's LeBron, say, or Serena, you know. And there were a lot of princes in Buddha's time. Nobody remembers them. Everybody remembers him. And it's not because he had more stuff. It's because he was happier. And he was happy with not too much, not too little, just what was right for him. But he had to figure that out. Yeah. You okay. might have
0: a hard, you might have a hard case convincing LeBron that he's not going to be remembered. But other than that, I think it's, a,
1: <laughs> well, he's, I mean, people remember Jordan less because of LeBron. Yeah. And there no, will be I know there. what you're saying. Yeah.
0: yeah. Yeah. I mean, especially if you go back that many thousands of years, you know, right. Um, how many athletes are remembered? from Yeah. Exactly.
1: I guess there's a few I'm like Achilles who's known for his heel. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Oh, and with, with Fruitful and Multiply. I wonder if it's a fair interpretation to be fruitful, like have kids. Yes. But we once we're full, then we don't need more and multiply happiness. Is this like uh, pushing the limit on, on? not that everyone's like, let's ask Josh how we can reinterpret this.
0: Oh, I don't know. Uh, I'd have to think about it off the top of my head. I, I think be fruitful and multiply tends to speak to growing people groups uh, as opposed to it's about multiplying happiness, but I, I, I mean, I think you can make that case certainly elsewhere, you know, that we should be trying to multiply happiness in people's lives. I don't know if I would go back to that verse, um, or that instruction to, to make that case though.
1: Okay. I'm venturing into territory. I appreciate you sharing And I, I had no idea. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no, we didn't plan. We didn't plan theology. Yeah. How fun. So the follow-up to the question of, uh, what the environment means to you. Okay is given what it means to you, I invite you at your option to think of something to do to act on what it means to you. And almost everyone, I, th- I don't think you would do this, but almost everyone answers a different question, which is what's the most important thing according to the New York Times or Greenpeace that I should do, which is not what I'm asking. But it's, it's something that to act on what it means to you. And a couple of restrictions is that it, it can't be telling other people what to do. And it can't be, it has to be something measurable we don't have to measure it, but it has to be something like not just awareness or, or education. Those are great, but the environment reacts to our behavior. And something new that you're not already doing. And you don't have to, but if you if you do come up with something, most people, actually everyone, once they hit something, almost everyone's like, you know, I haven't been meaning to do this thing for a while. Well, that usually takes a little bit back and forth. And then if you're up for it, then I would ask if you're up for a second conversation after you've done it. To share how it went. And it could be something you do forever, but most people, it's something they do for a short period of time. Hmm. And most people are like, hmm, I haven't thought. And they they have to think about it.
0: Yeah. 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 I'll put myself in that boat. Yeah. I haven't, I haven't thought. I I guess there isn't anything that pops to my head of, yeah, I really have always thought I should be doing this or would like to have tried this. Like nothing's coming up. If you want it now, I don't, I don't have anything right now that's coming to to mind.
1: Well, I'm thinking about. When you mentioned the person, I forget if this person was in South Dakota or Vermont, but saying that this, when this person was closest to God was when they were, he or she was alone in nature. And as you said that, it felt like that was a seminal moment for you, or a, and maybe something related to that, that if being in nature puts that person closer to God and that connects with you, maybe something along those lines, not thinking about like what, what's important for you to do, but what is meaningful for you to do Hmm. your meaning, not others. Yeah. Although they may overlap. Yeah. Like, I
0: mean, like what, like, like try that myself. Is that what you,
1: yeah. if, If there's, what usually happens is someone will say, you know, I could maybe like someone else was on the podcast and he was for him, the environment was really being close with the family and, as it happens, he and his sons were going to, and, and the wife too, were going to be on vacation. And something that they traditionally do on their vacation was he would have the sons, someone, I forget the details, uh, but the sons would go to the beach and pick up garbage. And because the environment was for him, was connecting with the family. He said, I'm going to go with my sons and pick up garbage too. He always could have, he never did. And once he hit on that, it was like, oh, this is gonna be, you know, and it started, the wheel started turning for him. Hmm. And... He hadn't thought of it before, and had I not asked him, he probably wouldn't have come up with it, and he I doubt he would have felt like something was missing from his life. And I haven't heard from him the second time of, what it was, of how it went or how it is going because he's doing it now. But people come up with things like that, and it's different for everyone because everyone has a different—it means something different for them. And people at home, I hope, are listening to this and thinking for themselves, uh, and hopefully there are a lot of new ones because you have a lot more readers than I do, <laughs> and hopefully some of them are listening to this and thinking not— what is joshua uh you becker how can i copy him but hopefully they're thinking what is it for me what's their equivalent of that conversation with a person and i predict that if you come up with something that when we talk about it the second time should it happen then you'll be glad that you did and you'll be like oh i wish i had done that earlier or something like that yeah 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 i mean as you're as you're
0: talking i'm kind of thinking through the the most natural the, the first thought the most natural thought is I mean, I, I try to spend time, you know, meditating and praying every day, but usually I'm just doing it in my room with a cup of coffee somewhere, you know, taking that outside somewhere and, um and, and trying that out in nature, plenty of, plenty of trails out where I live. And it's pretty hot in Phoenix, July and August. So I'm, I might want to postpone it till it's not 115 out, but, but I, I mean, that's like, that's the first thing that, that pops into my mind um, going back to that conversation with Fritz. Fritz was his name.
1: I was just interviewing uh, James Altucher and he was saying something very similar. He was going to go spend more time in central park. Now I'm interviewing him. I don't know if you know, he's a co-owner of this place called standup New York. Mm-hmm. It's literally two blocks from central park and he has not been in central park in years. Mm. So he was like, Oh, this is gonna be my chance. And then he it happened to be a mere, 95 96 degrees that day he was like well i'll do it in september october and which is fine with me it like when it makes sense i don't want people like scorching themselves but if that's something that would that would be interesting to you and you might like to share what that experience is like and on the time scale that works at your convenience and temperature and so forth then i'd love to hear what that experience is like afterward yeah are you game yeah i think so yeah okay when does it cool off in Phoenix to where you could do it? <laughs> uh, consistently <laughs> October, but uh, we can, we can, um, uh,
0: maybe there'll be some, probably I need to do it more than a couple times to, to really more than once to really appreciate it. So I don't know. It can be, although uh, nights start to cool off a little bit. And um, usually in mid-September
1: nights and mornings are a little cooler. So And does that fit with your schedule of when you meditate and pray? Yeah. Yeah. Morning time. So if you did it in say late September, how long would you have to do it to get a feel for? I don't know. Why don't we try to,
0: I mean, if you want to connect like late October or something, I mean, does it matter when we're,
1: when we're back on, you want me by a certain, certain time or. It's really the, I I've, (laughs) I have such a backlog right now to get through. (laughs) Yeah. It's when's best for you is cause I want the, This isn't supposed to be an imposition. So it's really just hopefully something that... See, what I think will happen is that after you do it, I think you'll enjoy it more than you expect to, even if you expect to enjoy it a fair amount. Mm -hmm. Um, Although it's, I don't want people to come back and if it was a burden for them to be like, it was great. Like, If it was a burden, I hope to hear that it's a burden so that people at home, this isn't Disney. It's not supposed to be like, uh, all we have to do is this and all magically will happen. It's a challenge. Okay. Things can be challenged, but if late October works for you, then that would give you about a month of it. It feels like. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Weather permitting. Yeah. I mean, I think so. That would, you know, provide a little opportunity if it's, if it's a hot September, then a little more opportunity, but yeah, I think that would be fine.
1: Okay, cool. I appreciate that you're uh, doing it. Yeah. And now I, I guess I'll wrap up and ask, I finished with two questions. If there's anything I didn't think to ask that's worth bringing up, and if there's any message that you'd want to give directly to the listeners, we covered a lot of ground, huh? It was fun. Yeah.
0: Um, no, I mean nothing comes to mind that, uh, that you didn't ask. No, you know I, I, I try to encourage people to uh, to think about how most people don't realize how much of a burden their their possessions have become until they, until they start to remove them, and so I wherever I go wherever I speak I, my, my hope is always to inspire people to to own less and uh, i i love the idea that anyone's listening would would think to themselves yeah where where can i own less and and where can i get started on this um, on this journey
1: and so for your for your materials how should they start with you should they start with your books with your podcast i mean with your blog
0: oh i yeah i think the blog is the best place to start becomingminimalist.com is the is the name of the website and yeah, my writing is there and everything else I do kind of springs from there. So I could, I mean, certainly find me on social media and you can find the books and anything can be, find, can be found from there. So that's where I usually send people.
1: Okay. Well, Joshua, Becker, thank you very much. Yeah, my pleasure. I'm not sure if meditating and praying outdoors meets my usual criterion of making a measurable difference to the world. But for one thing, I didn't really read him as overly enthusiastic about doing environmental things, but still game. But also, I think that he'll experience the outdoors more than expected. Also, I was still thinking about our talk about religion. Mainstream advice says not to talk about it with someone when you first meet them, but I valid his perspective. I don't think I offended him. Actually, I I hope I didn't offend him. If anyone thinks I did, let me know. I might not have been sensitive to something there. But I was curious about someone's perspective who wasn't new to that territory. If you look at one of my earlier podcasts, you'll see there's one about reinterpreting being fruitful and multiplying. Based on, as you heard me talk about with with Joshua, how people have already reinterpreted dominion now to mean stewardship. Anyway, I was pleasantly surprised, or maybe reminded, I guess, at how much minimalism touches on deep, important, meaningful topics. In that regard, I find it overlaps a lot with the environment and reduction overall. Did you feel inspired to then act? Go to joshuaspodak.com slash podcast and click to commit to your personal challenge so you can inspire others. Value means better and worse, and living by your values means living better by your values. You may struggle at first, but it's the hero's journey from living by others' values to living by yours. People say that little things add up. I won't argue against it, but what I find counts is acting. Doing something, anything, starts that mindset shift from the debilitating others should act first, or making excuses to the empowering, I can make a difference, and living by my values improves my life. I don't have to wait for others to act first. I'm looking for leaders, people who will bring what works here in this podcast to communities I haven't reached. Billions of people want to change their behavior. There's room for leadership from personal leadership of just yourself to whatever scale you want. Start by acting and changing yourself. Go to joshuaspodick.com slash podcast and commit to your personal challenge.